Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. So today is Resurrection Sunday, and what a privilege for me to be able to share with you this morning in the hope that we have Resurrection Sunday is the most powerful proclamation of our faith. Paul says if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then our faith is for nothing. But because he has risen, we have the guarantee of victory in our lives. And so this morning, I am so grateful that I get the opportunity to share the message of Jesus, the hope that we have, the life that we have, the victory that we have with you and with your family. And I believe that God is going to be speaking to your heart right now through the Holy Spirit. So let's just take some time to to open our hearts, to prepare ourselves, to get ready um, in our own hearts and in our in our own minds just to receive the word. There's something that happens when we just kind of come to Jesus's feet and we say, all right, Lord, um, it's time for you to speak to me. And, and I believe that in moments like that, lives are changed and hearts are changed. But this is Resurrection Sunday and and the guarantee of this new life that we have in Jesus. And uh, we always say that as believers, no matter what happens, we win because Jesus has secured the victory no matter what we're facing in life, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how hard things are and may even be for you right now. At the end of the day, because Jesus is king, we always win. So much of the world is, is trying to figure out how they're going to cope in this moment, how they're going to move forward, how they're going to overcome. And as you and I journey through life, I think, you know, we realize very quickly that we're going to need more than just clever thinking. We're going to need more than just some smart strategies. We're going to need more than just some willpower and some extraordinary effort. Um, the, you know, we realize as we move on, through life, that the things that we depend on and that we think will carry us through are often the things that fail us uh, when moments of crisis hit. But we don't always know this, you know, and so when we, we start out, we're full of confidence in our own ability. I spent many years of my life being confident in my own, own abilities, my own strengths, and my, you know, the things I could muster up um, in my own strength, only to find out that when real moments of crisis hit in life, those things are deemed almost immediately as inadequate. And this reminds me of a time um, I was uh, out in an area um, of the, the wild coast in South Africa, the Eastern Cape Coast, called Kids Beach, uh, with one of my best friends from high school. And um, it was an early January morning, um, and it was one of those beautiful January mornings, summer mornings here in South Africa, on the wild coast. And uh, we're in this tiny town in the Eastern Cape, and uh, that day, everybody's heading to the beach. There are only about 40 people in the town, but all 40 of us are going to the beach. The problem is because it's such a small town, there's no lifeguards, uh, you know, there's no safety, uh, you know, anybody watching out for the swimmers. There's no shark nets either, and the wild coast is, is known for its sharks. Uh, the problem with South Africa is not necessarily that we have the most shark attacks in the world. The problem is all the sharks that swim here will kill you if they do attack you. So, so it's, it's a scary prospect to just go swimming in the ocean uh, at a beach that is unprotected, uh, especially on the wild coast. But, you know, we were 18 years old and it was a great day and we weren't going to be deterred. 
And we felt like, you know what we want to do is we just want to chill a little bit. And so we thought we don't necessarily want to go and, and uh, ride the waves or anything, but if we could just find something to float on, that would be a great day spent. Um, and so we opened up my friends, uh, his, his parents had a home there. We opened up his garage. We found inside of the garage, we found, uh, we found two, um, you know, I would say forgotten, uh, neglected boogie boards or body boards. Um, and, um, and so there was one boogie board and it was pink and it was kind of broken in the middle. I don't know if you've ever seen what, what happens when a, when a boogie board just kind of cracks slightly in the middle and then it's kind of wobbly. So we were like, you know, we're just going to mess around. We'll take this wobbly boogie, boogie board. And then uh, it was also, there was also a little like a kid's one, like a baby sister boogie board that I believe probably belonged to one of his little sisters. And so here we went with our broken pink boogie board and our baby sister boogie board, and we were just going to go and float in the sea. And right next to the, the main beach area in Kids Beach, there's kind of like a little gully where the water is, is just flat, and, and you, can, you can just kind of chill there. The water's, there's no waves there. And so we just got onto the boards, and we were just floating, kicking out, chatting. And we must have gotten stuck in some sort of a current, probably a rip current that was moving out to sea, because when we looked back, we realized we could no longer see the people on the beach. Literally, it was, you know, all we could see was the, the foam of the waves that were breaking from the, you know, we were behind the back line. And, uh, and, and then you could see kind of in the distance a haze where the beach was before. And so we knew we were in trouble. And, uh, and so we wanted to get back to the beach as quickly as possible. And so my friend and I started kicking back towards the beach. Um, thinking it's fine, we've got these boogie boards, we'll make it. It's less dangerous to face the waves. In our, in our estimation at that time, it would be less dangerous to face the waves than to get eaten by a shark behind the waves. And, and you know, what's worse than getting eaten by a shark in South Africa is getting eaten by a shark while being on a pink boogie board. And so we decided that we were going to push out uh, to the beach as quickly as possible. We started kicking. We thought we would be fine. We were holding on to those boogie boards like this is going to carry us through. But the problem was when that first wave started to bend over the top of our heads, it was in that instant that we realized that what we were holding on to was immediately deemed insufficient. Like we realized we were grossly mistaken and that there was no way that this boogie board that we were holding onto, this floppy broken pink boogie board and this baby sister boogie board, it seemed so silly to us then in that moment that we had ever thought that these things would carry us through. And I didn't see my friend for about 20 minutes after that at one point. I saw him roll on some rocks, um, and somehow, by the grace of God, we survived and we made it to the beach. But it just reminded me of how many times in life we think that our career is going to get out through, the economy is going to get out through, our, you know, our intellect is going to get out through, our connections are going to get us through, our nest egg will get us through, our, our health will get us through, our skills, our abilities, our talents, our friends, you know, whatever it may be that you've depended on you know, to get you through in life. When real crisis hits, it's in that moment that we realize that what we were holding on to was simply not enough. And, uh, and, and this brings us to the realization that what we need in life is a greater authority, a greater strength, a greater power, a king who is truly sovereign, who truly rules not only over all of life, 
but who has defeated death as well. And so today we're going to continue in our series to know the heart of God. And, uh, and this is a series we started a week or so ago. We've done, this is the third message in that series where we look at the life of Jesus and how his life is the express image of who God is. It shows us if you ever wondered what God was like, when you look at Jesus, you'll know. When we look at his life, when we look at his grace, when we look at his, his words, when we look at how he treated people, how he died for people, how he was raised from the dead, we know what God is like. And so we're going to continue in that today. And, and uh, we're so thankful that the Bible gives us multiple perspectives on Jesus. It shows us who Jesus is, not only from one perspective, but through the Gospels, specifically, we get four different accounts of Jesus's life and what he was like. We've looked at how each of those uh, accounts show Jesus from a slightly different view and how these four different views correspond with the four creatures around the throne in Ezekiel and Revelation. It says that there is a lion, there is an ox, there is a man, and there is an eagle. And these, we believe, represent the four Gospels. We see how Mark was representing Jesus as the ox, as the servant, as the miracle worker, as the one who came to give his life for many. We looked on Good Friday at how Jesus was the Messiah, the eagle, come from heaven to earth to, to uh, be God amongst us and to die on the cross to reconcile us. And today we're going to look at the book or the gospel of Matthew and how Jesus is the king. I want to share a message with you today entitled, He is the King of Kings. Jesus is the King of Kings. And I want to start off um, by reading Ephesians 1 and chapter 19. In Ephesians 1 and verse 19. And I'm going to read through uh, to verse 23. So if you follow with me in your Bible, um, from verse 19 it says, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power? The immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe. According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, it's Resurrection Sunday. This is the power of God raising Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, here is Jesus's position today. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one that is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is far above, far above. He cannot even be compared to other forms of rulership in this world, to other forms of authority. Every other form of authority is merely a shadow compared to the authority and the rulership and the sovereignty of Jesus. He's above all rule, all authority, all power and dominion in every name and in every age. Jesus is above it all. And so he's not just the servant. He's not just our savior. He is our king. He is our ruler. He is our Lord. And he is sovereign over all things. The Bible tells us that all creation is held together by the word 
of his power. And so we're going to look at the gospel of Matthew and how Matthew sees Jesus as king. Now, Matthew was a tax collector. And in fact, when I shared the message called He is a Friend of Sinners, um, you know, two messages ago, we looked at this, how he is a friend of sinners. We spoke about how Jesus approached a tax collector by the name of Levi. And the, the, what, what we know from the scriptures is that Levi is Matthew. His name was later changed to Matthew. So can we just pause for a moment to talk about how amazing that is? We were talking about how tax collectors were literally thugs. They were outcasts. They were criminals. They betrayed their own people. And Jesus befriended sinners like Levi. And sinners like Levi become Matthews who write the account of who tell Jesus' story, who, who express the gospel. How beautiful that sinners be, be in Jesus' hand. Once you've been encountered, once you've encountered the power of God and the rulership of Christ and the love of Jesus, you go from being an outcast and a sinner to somebody who is used mightily by God. And that's what we have in the book of Matthew. Now, we actually see how Jesus meets Matthew uh, or Levi in a tax booth and comes up to him in this kind of tax office where he is receiving the taxes from the people receiving those payments. And Jesus comes to him there and he says, I want you to follow me. And in that moment, Matthew gets up and he follows Jesus. But I believe that because Matthew worked, you know, in in uh uh, in, in cahoots with the Roman government and, and ultimately through his profession became a Roman government official uh, bringing in tax on behalf of the Roman Empire that Matthew had, um, he has a unique perspective to share on the concept or the idea of authority. He would have understood the authority of Rome. He would have understood the, you know, the, the, the sovereignty of the emperor within the empire. And so he gives us this incredible picture of a Jesus who is above every throne, every emperor, every principality, every power, every name that is named. Matthew understands authority and he tells us about it. He starts off with a genealogy. In Matthew 1 verse 1, I'm going to read 1 verse 1 and verse 16 and 17. It says, the book of the genealogy of, of Jesus Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. So he starts off right there from saying, this is the king we've been waiting for. He's in the lineage of David and he is a son of Abraham. He is part of, he's that seed, capital S, that was promised. The, the savior will come, the king will come through David. And it says in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Matthew starts with the genealogy. Because if you're a king, your lineage matters. Jesus is in the lineage of the great King David, just as it was prophesied the Messiah would be. And God had said in uh, the times of David, in prophetic utterances, that he would establish the throne of David for eternity, that it would be an eternal rulership that will never pass away. And this was speaking about Jesus. And so right here in the beginning of Matthew, it shows us that Jesus is that promised king in the lineage of, Je of David. Listen to this, Gen Genesis 49 verse 10. It says, the scepter, 
which we know is, you know, representative of the rulership of a king, the authority of a king. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the tribe of Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. And that is why it tells us in Revelation 5 and verse 5, it says, And one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Behold, the lion, Matthew sees Jesus as a lion, of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So Jesus is the lion of Judah. He is the king and his scepter, his rulership shall not be removed. In Proverbs 29 and verse 2, it echoes this and it says, When the righteous increase, people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. And I've always understood this about leadership. Good leadership, good kings versus evil kings. We saw it right throughout the history of Israel. When there was an evil king in place, the people suffered. They groaned. They were burdened. But when there is righteousness that increases and when righteousness rules, people are set free. They're liberated and they rejoice. Now, the issue with us as humanity is that we have been ruled by so many different things, that we have had so many different aspects of our culture and our world and, and society rule over our hearts, really. But more than anything, sin has ruled in our lives. Sin has ruled in humanity and within mankind since the time of the fall of, of Adam and Eve. The first time a human being disobeyed God and, and chose to try and be their own God and decide for themselves what's right and wrong. From that moment, we broke our alignment with God. And what we were created to have, a relationship with God, what we were created to be, His children, all of a sudden we were no more. And that dislocation, that disjointedness produced brokenness in our world and the suffering and the pain and, the, and everything that we experience in this world is as a result of that brokenness and the broken world that we live in. When the wicked rule, the people groan. There was suffering and there was death in the lives of humanity. But God loves us. He loves people. He's always loved people. He, he created us because he loved us, because he wanted that relationship with us. And so God decides, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to send my own king to defeat the king of death, the king of sin, the king of brokenness and deception. I'm going to send my own king. And he sets humanity on a course towards redemption by, first of all, calling Abraham out in faith to follow after him. And from Abraham, he creates the nation of Israel and he gives them victory. He is already foretelling what he is doing through their story, what he will ultimately do through Jesus. He will bring them victory. He gives them victory in the promised land. And as Israel settles in the promised land, they have what is known as a theocracy, better than any monarchy, better than any human uh, form of government. They have God as their king. God is king of Israel 
they have a theocracy. But the people of Israel are tempted in this moment. They look at the other nations around them and they say, all these nations have, have earthly kings. We want an earthly king as well. And they go to Samuel, the prophet at the time. They say, we want a king. We want an earthly king. And, and Samuel says, no, this is, you've got God as your king. You don't need an earthly king. God leads you and provides for you and protects you, which is the job of a king. And they said, no, we want an earthly king. And Samuel goes to God and says, God, they've rejected me. And God says to Samuel, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. They've rejected me. You know, it's so easy for us to, to judge um, Israel in these moments. But we do the same. We still do the same today. God is our ruler. He is our king. He is sovereign. He is wise beyond anything that we could ever imagine to be. And yet, we still want earthly kings. We want earthly rulers. We want to be those earthly rulers. We want to rule our own lives. We want to decide for ourselves. It's still the same mistake. It's still the same error over and over again. We exchange God as our Lord and as our, as our King for earthly means of, of making ourselves more comfortable or, or ourselves to feel better or feel more significant or more worthy or richer, wealthier, more comfortable, whatever it may be. We look to earthly kings and earthly things other than God and the rulership that we have in Him. So rather than trusting in the authority of God, we look to earthly authority. And so we see in Israel, as it is with everybody who trusts in their own strength, that there is an eventual decline within that nation up until the point where all of the tribes are taken into captivity and, uh, and exiled to foreign lands. But God, before all of this happens, He makes a promise. And that promise is that He will establish a king that will reign forever and whose kingdom and whose rulership will never be undermined and never be overthrown. And there are many prophecies about this king. There are many words about this king. There's many, you know, the, the religious people of Israel are awaiting the arrival of this king. And he did arrive. He arrived at exactly the moment that we covered last Sunday when we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, hailed as the king, the long-awaited king of Israel. The religious people didn't want Jesus to be the king. They wanted a political king. They wanted Rome overthrown. They didn't want a king who says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And they didn't like the influence that this young Jesus had. And so they sought to overthrow him and they sought to kill him before the Passover feast. They wanted to get rid of Jesus. And we, as we know, on Good Friday, what we celebrated is that they got it right. They crucified Jesus. And we celebrate that because he died in our place. And it's through his death that we've been made alive. But on that Friday, they managed to develop a plot and execute a plot that put Jesus to death. And as they were crucifying Jesus, the Roman soldiers themselves decided that they were going to put a plaque above Jesus's head, a, a notice, a sign above his head. And they put uh, the, the, the letters I-N-R-I, I-N-R-I, which is an acronym for a Latin phrase, which means Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. 
Jesus of Nazareth. And you know, the Jewish people, they didn't like that sign. They didn't put it there. And they, they ran up to the Roman soldiers and said, what are you doing? Take that sign off. He's not our king. And the soldiers said to them, the centurion says to them, what is written is written. How amazing is it that even when people don't recognize that Jesus is king, that doesn't mean that he isn't king. Because what is written is written. And what is written in the word of God will remain and will stand forevermore. And so here we have Jesus crucified, king of the Jews. The thing about Jesus being the king is that he's not just an earthly king. He wasn't just another religious leader. He wasn't just another political figure. He's not just another, uh, an, another uh, figure in history. No, he was the king of all. He was the king of, of heaven. And so death could not hold him. He was king even over death itself. Death could not hold him. Jesus is crucified, yes, on Friday. And he goes to the grave, yes. But in that grave, he strips death of its power. He literally takes the keys to death and to Hades and he sets the captives free. He removes the sting from death so that as believers, we have mocked death for centuries saying, death, where is your sting? You don't pack the punch that you used to because our king has given us victory over you, over death. And so we have a hope even in death, because Jesus has given us that victory and we see it guaranteed and, and put on display by the fact that Jesus rises from the dead on Sunday. He gets up. Death couldn't hold him. That put death and every enemy the Satan that wanted to rule over the people and, and sin that wanted to destroy lives. We see what the resurrection of Jesus did to the authority of Satan. In Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Jesus took all of our debts, the debt that we owed to the law, the punishment that was due to us, and he nailed it to the cross. This is what it resulted in. He disarmed the ruler's and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, uh, over them in him. Jesus triumphs over death and sin and Satan. And this was actually a, a, a procession or a practice that was well understood in, in Jesus's time. That when one king went out to fight against another nation and defeated that nation in battle, they would often capture the king of the nation, put him in a cage, strip him naked, 
and bring him back home to their hometown, to the streets of their capital and parade them in the cage through the streets saying, look at this. This was apparently the mighty king of this nation, but look at him now. He is put to an open shame for he is defeated. What Jesus did when he raised from the dead is he put Satan in that cage. He stripped him of his authority and he put him to an open shame saying, this is the victory that I have won. And so Jesus leads a victorious procession, a parade through the streets of Jerusalem. And guess who he leads in that triumphal procession? He leads us. We're a part of that kingdom. We're a part of his victory. His victory is our victory. Jesus, through his victory, establishes the kingdom of God on earth once more. John the Baptist, when Jesus arrived, said that this is the Lamb of God and that the kingdom of God is therefore at hand. The disciples, when they were sent out by Jesus to pray for the sick, and as the sick were recovering and people were turning to Jesus, he said to the disciples, you will say to the people, the kingdom of God has come near you. The kingdom of God has come to us. His rulership, his authority, his power has come to us. And he is sovereign over everything. Jesus is greater than what is happening in our economy right now. Jesus is greater than a global pandemic. Jesus is greater than anything you may face. Jesus is greater than any circumstance or situation. Jesus is greater than what is happening in your marriage right now or what you're worried about or what you're, what you're praying about. Jesus is greater than anything you could face in this world because he is the king. And what happens is, is that his kingdom has come to us. And as we surrender to this king, he takes up his authority in our lives. And the center of our lives, our hearts become the throne of Christ. He reigns, he rules in our lives. Jesus is the king of our lives and the goodness of God when the good, when righteousness increases and the righteous are in leadership, the people rejoice. When Jesus comes into your life, it brings joy and freedom. The Bible tells us that we have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. We've joined this new kingdom. And it tells us as well that this is an unshakable kingdom. This kingdom cannot be overcome. It cannot be shaken. Whatever you're facing today, the kingdom of God is within you and that kingdom cannot be shaken. You will be okay. God will work all things together for good. This is so valuable. It's so beautiful. It's so incredible. In fact, Jesus tells a story of what discovering the kingdom of, is like. And he says, the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in a field and then goes home and sells everything else that he's ever owned in order to go and purchase that field and take hold of that treasure. In other words, when we discover the rulership of Jesus in our lives, we leave everything else behind. Every other earthly king, every other earthly authority, every other earthly thing that we ever look to, we lay it down in order to take hold of the treasure. 
And that treasure is within you. The kingdom is within you. That means that his reign, his rulership is in your life. His love, his freedom, his joy. These things manifest in your life through faith. You are free indeed. The job of a king is to provide and to protect. And when Jesus is the ruler of your life, he does just that. Isaiah 9 verse 67 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government of the world shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. For from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is an incredible thing. But what I love about that scripture is it says that where this rulership of Jesus is, this promised Messiah, this King of Kings, where his rulership exists, there will be increase and peace. You will experience the peace of the Prince of Peace. Revelation 1 verse 5 to 6 says, From Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings, he is the King of Kings, the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. We are a kingdom, his kingdom, and we are priests. We minister and we, we reconcile. We, are, we have that ministry of reconciliation, bringing people to the Father. We are his priests. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 19, 6 says, 16 says that on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. What does Jesus have imprinted on his thigh and on his robe? It has this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is beautiful. This is the authority. That authority, heaven's authority, takes up residence in your life. We need a revelation of this. Too many of us still say, I don't have what it takes. I can't do this. I cannot overcome this addiction. I cannot stop struggling in this area. I'll never be able to dot, 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 whatever you have filled that blank with in your own thoughts, in your own heart, and with your own words. You need a revelation that there is someone greater than you that fulfills the call of God within you and through you. And that is Jesus himself, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is greater than any other authority that you may come across. And Jesus says to his disciples, I have given you authority. I have given you authority. We have the authority of Jesus in our lives. We are his kings and priests. And we reign in this life because of Jesus. No matter what happens, we win. He leads us constantly in triumph and in victory in every sphere, in every area of our lives. The kingdom is not in word only, the Bible says, but in the demonstration of power. 
There's something that manifests. There's something that happens. This is not just something that we speak about. This is not something ethereal or something, you know, theoretical. The kingdom of God is not just words. No, there is power that is attached. And there's a demonstration of power. What happens when Jesus enters your life as your king is that things begin to change. Why? Luke 17, 21. Nor will people say, See here or see there. There's the kingdom. Here's the kingdom. No. Jesus says this. He says, indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. God's kingdom, his throne, his rulership resides in your life. The last thing that the enemy wants for you to find out is who you are in Christ and the power that is at work within us. It's the same power the bible says in ephesians 1 that raised jesus from the dead that same life-giving resurrection power is present in your life which means that you can do whatever god calls you to do you can endure you can overcome you can have the victory you can walk according to his grace because jesus has won the victory for all of us we walk according to to his grace. Come on, this is so encouraging. We're facing so many things in this life right now that feels like that wave cresting over the top of us. But in that moment and in these moments, we realize we serve a greater king. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And if God is for us, who could be against us? I hope that you're encouraged this morning. I hope you begin to realize what it means to surrender your life to the king and have this good, this great, this gracious God become the Lord of your life. If there is anybody watching this that has never made that decision to say, Jesus, I bow my knee, I surrender my life. Even, I mean, if you're watching this at home right now and you feel moved to do this, you can get down on your knees right now. And you can pray this prayer with me. And this is how the Bible says we invite the king to reign in our lives, to be our Lord and our Savior. By confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. What better day to make this decision than on Resurrection Sunday? Let's go ahead and pray. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are Lord that you are the son of God, that you are the king of kings. And I recognize and realize today that you died on the cross for me to pay the price for all of my sins, to forgive me and to wash me clean. And I also believe with all of my heart that you were then raised from the dead and that you are in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus, I bow my knee today and I invite you, I ask you to save me. I receive your grace, your forgiveness and am translated into the kingdom of God. I am a child of God from this moment forward. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Come on, how incredible to know today. You don't have to wonder, 
but you can know today that you belong to Jesus and that he rules in your life and over every circumstance that you may face. If you prayed that prayer, I want to ask you, please let us know. Go onto our website. There's a tab that says, I'm new here. Click on that and let us know that you have prayed this prayer. Let us know um, how we can serve you or pray for you or get in touch with you so that we can congratulate you in what is a momentous moment in your own life, a monumental moment in your own life. This is something that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not in word only. It is in a demonstration of power. You are going to see your life change as the result the direct result of the decision that you have made today. And we cannot wait to hear the testimony of all the things that God has done in your life. So please share it with us. And, uh, you know, God is so good and we are so grateful for your life and for everything that God is going to be doing in your life and through your life. What a great Resurrection Sunday this has been. What a great opportunity to sit around the Word and just soak in this King that we serve, just the truth and the grace of God present in our lives. We know that even though this uh, live stream will end, that God will continue speaking to you. His live streaming of the Holy Spirit, His voice never ends, and He'll keep speaking to you, so trust Him to do that. We love you. We believe in you. We encourage you to have a great day. Enjoy some time with your family. Enjoy time uh, with your kids and celebrate the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead today. And so all of us have new life. Thank you for watching. We love you and we will see you again next Sunday.